Like the office they commemorate, presidential libraries are living institutions. Certainly it is my hope that the Reagan Library will become a dynamic intellectual forum where scholars interpret the past and policymakers debate the future. Welcome to a Reagan Forum, hosted by the Ronald Reagan Presidential Foundation and Institute. The Center for Public Affairs offers lectures and forums presenting perspectives on important public policy issues of the day from politicians, authors, members of the media, business and military leaders, and more. In this week's Reagan Forum podcast, we go back to an event our Reagan Institute offices held on September 7th to bring attention to the plight of Jimmy Lai. Jimmy Lai is a Hong Kong businessman. A prominent critic of the Chinese Communist Party, he was arrested in 2020 by Hong Kong police, where he currently is serving in prison for organizing illegal protests. During our program, which was co-sponsored by the Committee for Freedom in Hong Kong Foundation and the Foundation for Defense on Democracies, the audience watched a documentary called The Fight for Freedom, Jimmy Lai and Democracy in Hong Kong. Following the screening, a panel discussed his case and the state of freedom in Hong Kong today. Let's listen. Good afternoon and welcome everyone to the Ronald Reagan Institute. I want to thank everyone who's uh, joining us here in person at the Institute, as well as all those who are watching on the live stream. Uh, let me begin first with a special thanks to our co-hosts, the Committee for Freedom in Hong Kong and the Foundation for Defense of Democracies for partnering with us today on this important event. This year, the Reagan Institute's Center for Freedom and Democracy launched its newest initiative called Spotlight Dissidents. This project aims to highlight the courageous efforts of those working so hard around the world to pr promote and protect freedom. It's especially meaningful, I have to say, for me to be able to be part of this event today because uh, until my recent move here to the Reagan Institute to launch the Center on Public Civility, I was publisher of the Washington Post. And uh, we were technology partners with Jimmy Lai and with Apple Daily. And it was amazing to see Jimmy and his team of journalists work so hard to keep their readers informed and shed light on the abuses uh, of the Chinese regime. And when Jimmy was arrested, we deployed the reach of the Press Freedom Partnership to give ongoing attention to the plight of Jimmy Lai and others who stand for press freedom. And Natalie Freeling leads the Press Freedom Partnership, and she's, I'm delighted you're with us today, Natalie. So here today, we shed light on the extraordinary struggle for freedom in Hong Kong. We all stand in solidarity with Jimmy Lai, a successful businessman, publisher, and true champion of democracy and freedom. Ahead of his upcoming trial under the Chinese Communist Party's national security law, we gather to celebrate the unwavering spirit of Jimmy Lai and to remind him and his Chinese imprisoners that the whole world is watching. As we do so, we can take inspiration from the powerful words of President Ronald Reagan in his 1980 inaugural address, which are engraved on the wall just outside of this room. He said, no arsenal or no weapon in the arsenals of the world is so formidable as the will and moral courage of free men and women. When Ronald Reagan made that st statement decades ago, he may have just as well been talking about Jimmy Lai today. In a moment, we will watch the abridged version of a powerful new documentary, The Hong Konger, produced by the Acton Institute. Then we'll hear from a panel of esteemed experts about Jimmy Lai's case and the state of freedom 
in Hong Kong today. But first, we're privileged to have with us Sebastian Lai, Jimmy's son and a leader in the campaign for his father's freedom. Sebastian will share his insights into his father's formidable will, his courageous fight, and the ongoing battle for freedom and democracy in Hong Kong. Please welcome Sebastian Lai. Hate to start us off with some bad news, but uh, you know my father's been in jail for uh, almost three years now. Um, his trial has recently been delayed uh, for the third time, uh, and uh, and 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 we you know we we like to joke that you know show trials take a lot of work. There's a lot of rehearsal that goes into a show trial, <laughs> so that's why that's why hence the delay. So you know don't be too hard on them. But jokes aside, that's what it is in Hong Kong at the moment. This is, uh, um, it's not the same Hong Kong as it was five years ago. And it really shows you that how, how fragile these institutions are without, uh, um, without democracy. Um, so I, I'll, I'll you know, uh, go back to when he was first arrested. Um, he, uh, uh, this was in August when he was first arrested. He, he was let out and uh, uh, he went back home and uh, told my family uh, to not be afraid. Uh, and I think he decided, to stay, he decided to stay in Hong Kong to, to tell the people of Hong Kong and, and, and his staff to not be afraid. Dad always said that fear is the, the cheapest weapon that our autocratic regime has against you. Because once you fear them, they, they have you in the pockets. You, you, you're, you're cowed. And so my father's story is, is really a, a story of, of, of hope, you know, of, of, of hope. Being more powerful than fear, it's it's the story of a of a 13 year old, you know, going at, at at the bottom of a fishing boat and arriving at this new place, Hong Kong, and then how he he, even though those situations were obviously incredibly tough, he uh, 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 he found his own way, um, and 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 that's really, I think that's really the beautiful thing here. It's it's that this this child who. Um, you know, didn't, didn't have like a, had a fifth uh, a fifth grade education, uh, landed Hong Kong, and and has the same beliefs as, as as all of you in this room through 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 reading through through sort of discovering this truth of how important freedom is. Um, there's a there's a funny story actually about um, I look back at one of the uh, uh, um, interviews that he did uh, um, like I think 25 years ago and. Um, he basically learned English um, after shifts at the uh, factories, so uh, you know, 12-hour days. And then he, uh, this this accountant who, who took a liking to him, taught him English. Uh, and then he, uh, uh, the person asked him, obviously English was a very was a very helpful thing to his career. Um, you know, so why did you decide to learn English? And he says, uh, well, everybody pointing at me and telling me to do stuff spoke English. So I figured it was probably a good idea. <laughs> and I think that's, that's what it is. His life is, that's why he's so grateful about, you know, all, all these opportunities that he's had. I mean, another one is, um, you know, fast forward 40-odd uh, 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 years. Um, he had gone to China with, uh, with Milton Friedman. Uh, and uh, um, as he tells it, they were sitting at a bar, and uh, uh, they see this, uh, this, this, this lady that was, you know, just doing the, I guess, oldest profession in the world. Uh, she, was, she was working. She was working the bar. And um, Milton Freeman sits down and then goes into a, a, a one-hour um, 
dialogue about the economics of prostitution. <laughs> and dad, dad found that to be amazing because it, for, for, for Milton, everything was, was economics. Uh, and, 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 and I think that, that is what it is. It's, it's, it's you know, um, my father is a, is a, is a very um, coherent person. And I saw a video of him, uh, um, you know, the, the, the one that I was talking about before, 30 years ago. And he, he during the handover, he was asked, uh, because he had already started Apple Daily uh, at that point, he was asked whether he would leave um, if they came for him because China was was coming and, and, and everybody knew, Every, the writing was on the wall, so to speak. Uh, and um, he, he says, well, I, I think it's, uh, uh, it's time to see if we're willing to pay a high price for our convictions. Um, and, uh, you know, he, he's, he's paid every single day for, 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 for 30 odd years, which I, I personally at least find, find incredible, because even, even then he was, um, when Apple Daily first started, he was already being harassed. Uh, he, he, you know, his, his, all the, a lot of the newspapers were were thrown into the the shore. The distributors were had mob links. Were were, were basically uh, you know messing around with um, with the newspaper. And uh, as a result, they got a lot of advertising. And in the video, Dad jokes, uh, "Well, if I knew they were going to do that, I wouldn't have paid all that money in advertising. <laughs> they did it for us." <laughs> so. I, you know, it, it's it, it it is this story of a, of a man who you know you know you don't you don't choose where you're born, right? It's it's, uh, um, but but you choose where you make a home. And I, I think the, the 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 thing with my father is that he always says that Hong Kong gave him so much that it was the place where he really you know when he arrived he, he didn't have uh, um, anyone there with him. It was just just him just by himself. And, and, and so Hong Kong's freedoms adopted, adopted him and gave him everything that he has. And so when someone came to try to take it away, that's, that's why he stayed. I think it's, um, you know, just to uh, um, end this, I'm, I'm aware there is a video after this that, that would tell you much more. Um, but Dad used to say that um, Hong Kong is so poor, the only thing they have is money. And I think that is what it is, because here is an example of, of a man who, 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 whose very actions have shown the, the, you know, the, the phrase that we, we all give a lot of uh, uh, currency to, which is money isn't everything. Right? You tell that to, to kids, you tell that to, to adults, every single person from, from, the, the spectrum, from all the financial spectrums will, will, will tell you that that is a truth. But this is a man who has shown that, who has shown that these freedoms cost. It, it, it costs to be an honest man in an autocratic country. Uh, and this is a man who, at 75-year-old, is happily paying that cost. So, um, you know, thank you very much, and I hope that you know, one day he will be here to, to, to thank you as well. There's a saying in Chinese, Ling Meng Yi Sei, Bat Meng Yi Sang, is if you're a bird, you'd rather die singing than living a silent life. I don't have a sense of fear, especially if I know I'm doing the right thing. 
It's always worth looking back at people who have stood against oppressive regimes. People emerge. People like Jimmy Lai. He's a legend. Jimmy's story isn't really his story. That is the story of Hong Kong. I came here with one dollar. Someone who found refuge in Hong Kong and made something from scratch, from nothing. One country, two systems. We lose our freedom, we lose everything. He really sounded a warning for the free world. Human freedom is really a tapestry of individual freedoms, and they live or die together. We've never had a territory of 7.5 million people who have lived and breathed their basic freedom and human rights, having that taken away from them. Hong Kong isn't just about a city, it's about Hong Kongers, it's about the people who live there. Today, we see this total crackdown on dissent, total crackdown on the civil society in Hong Kong, total crackdown on freedom in Hong Kong. He chose to stay in Hong Kong. This is a time for sacrifice. You can break their body, but you're not going to break their spirit. A man's back has got to be bent in the process, is what I think Martin Luther King once said. This guy is like in the suit walking towards the flamethrower, and he's got like, you know, eating an ice cream cone. And what they don't understand is the point made by Nelson Mandela, that you can't lock up an idea. I watched this man willingly give up the life of a billionaire to become a dissident. They want to eradicate the symbol of Hong Kong people. I will have to fight to the last day. He started as a salesperson for a garment factory. Just sell textile. I had to go back and forth, bringing samples from Hong Kong to New York. Partying the night away, are you kidding? That guy, you know, he was a guy who was just on fire in every way. If you wanted to go to a nightclub, Jimmy Lai was the guy to go with. You never touched your wallet. I think part of that wildness was the fact that he was looking for something deeper, that, that he knew there was something out there. I was invited to a retired Jewish lawyer's house for dinner. He took a book from the bookshelf and gave it to me and said, read this. And the book's name is called The Road to Serve Them. The book changed my life. It turns the light on for me to see it clearly. It's the result of people's spontaneous reaction and exchange of information and pursuing their own goal that has created the best in the world. And that's very enlightening for me. At the end of that year, I got a bonus. And then I, 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 so I, I said, okay, look, let's try my luck. Um, speculate in the stock market. If I'm lucky, I make some money, and then I start my own business. And before I knew it, I made a quarter of a million. I start a very small factory, and eventually, we became one of the biggest sweater factory in Hong Kong. I think that, you know, the risk-taking is a very important part of being an entrepreneur. And I think that just came natural after I escaped from China. 
there's no bigger risk to take than your life. When Deng Xiaoping uh, came to, to power uh, after the death of Mao, he really introduced uh, incredible new economic reforms that, that opened up China's economy. We want to open up. We want to open up to the world. We want to actually take on reform. What takes place is arguably one of the most astounding growths of economic prosperity. And China had this economic miracle. They went from bicycles and rickshaws to automobiles, what you see today. I felt the constraint of being a manufacturer. He's a classic entrepreneur. And also being a manufacturer for long enough, I was bored. So I thought, wait, maybe retailing is something that I should try. And then I went into retailing and that business became a phenomenon. That's called Giordano Steel Surviving. Giordano was this huge brand. It was a revolution because it was high quality at a good price, affordable, fashion, bright. And I remember Giordano always had these great colors. He named that clothing store Giordano after a pizza parlor. I took the napkin and then I flew back to Hong Kong. I fell to my pocket, oh, this is a Giordano. You know, the napkin says Giordano, so I used this name. <laughs> Figured a Italian name might sound more um, like a designer than a Chinese name. So a business that Jimmy begins in Hong Kong rushes through all of China, and he's making his money in China. I thought, you know, now China is going to be open up. You know, China is going to be changed. China is going to be like Western country that you know I've been to, and and I was very excited, and I was too optimistic, so to speak. what happened in Tiananmen. I was very moved. It is not a government by people, of people, for people. The first step uh, in their long journey to change the Chinese political structure. Very often people think of Tiananmen as kind of just like a very geographically narrow movement that happened only in Beijing. But actually, those protests were going on all over China. They represented a real threat to the regime. wanted to get involved. He felt himself to be part of it. He saw this as the Arab Spring for Asia. So I gave money and print those Tenement Square Heroes t-shirt. I had banners in my shop, you know, asked Deng Xiaoping to resign. And it seemed so natural that this brand that you see at every street corner would reflect the aspirations and feelings and desire of everyday Hong Kongers. I marched in the very first million Hong Kongers march back in May of 1989. People then at the time were thinking that today's Tiananmen, tomorrow's Hong Kong. That's why millions of Hong Kongers went to the street. They didn't see this as just supporting people in Tiananmen Square. 
they saw this as their own fate being determined. It was clear that the Tenement protest was has been, you know, growing, it's been expanding. Millions of students and workers and protesters have been in Tenement Square. And it's not one afternoon. It's a period of time where people were gathering and protesting and celebrating. And then the tanks roll in. This wasn't um, uh, a, a demonstration which got out of hand so the police had to deal rather toughly with it. This was kids being killed. Actually, I didn't see anything about China until Tiananmen Square happened. He was one of those who was extremely outspoken. No, why do I say outspoken? Honest about what had happened. All of a sudden, it's like my mother was calling in the darkness of the light. And my heart opened up. arrested, he was shackled and perp-walked through his own offices. He's being treated like a terrorist. So that was really heartbreaking for me to see him being arrested, taken away by the police officers. The 200 police actually went around the building just looking for stuff. They were collecting evidence for further charges. His wife uh, sent me a note and she said they put handcuffs and chains on him to humiliate him. And I keep that photo framed by my desk to look at him every day. And I told her, I said, don't worry about that. The people of Hong Kong see them as a badge of honor. And it's a tremendously hopeful thing uh, to watch a man that just will not give up. serious charge under the national security law which can you know transpire into my my jail time in Hong Kong or in China it is almost certain that they will they 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 will they will put me in jail it will be so boring just being a businessman. I want to make my life more meaningful and interesting, and that, that's why I got into the trouble I got into today, and I'm happy to have it, to be honest. 
Teresa's attitude to Jimmy is, I always knew this day might come when I married you. And, um, excuse me. And uh, I will walk every step of this with you. We're very close, family. But it doesn't mean that I have to put them into the same suffering that I will have to face. I think they've both been enormously principled and brave. And I wish I could think that I would have been as brave. Hi. This morning uh, in Hong Kong, the police conducted their second major raid on the Apple Daily compound. The police came in this morning with about 500 individuals. Unfortunately, the first thing they did was they arrested our three top editorial people and two senior executives. They then proceeded to go through the building like a vacuum cleaner. The second raid on Apple Daily was really about national security law. So everyone in the building was actually part of the crime, so to speak. Our journalists were fantastic. They kept posting online through the entire thing. As kind of the CCP takes hold of Apple Daily, their voice is actually being silenced. Their social media accounts are shut down and those tweets are deleted. Luckily, through social listening, we can capture and still see a deleted tweet. We can go back in time and see the firsthand experiences of what they were pushing out. The police, we've learned that they've seized all the bank accounts for Apple Daily. And that's where we're at today. And I'm actually monitoring it as we go on and I'm working on it. I have no doubt that part of the personality of the DNA of Apple Daily is because of the DNA of Jimmy. People, the entire Apple Daily staff, they were so determined to keep the paper running so long as they had the resources to do so. And uh, I will use my own money to support it. Luckily, I still have some money. We had enough money to survive for a few years, so... I don't know how they could uh, close us down. Jimmy Lai's personal account, they were also frozen. By the end of June, we couldn't afford even to pay for the ink, the electricity, for running the printing press. You know, you run out of oxygen, just die like that, suffocate. Our colleagues decided we'll still work until the very last day, until we run off paper, run off ink, run off electricity. 
boy have a little balcony and they saw supporters outside and they took their cell phone out and waved back to them with this uh, light on uh, it was very moving it was very emotional see that the city itself is dying. Very sad. The hope was that China would evolve in that 50 years to catch up to where Hong Kong is. That has obviously been reversed. Please welcome to the stage moderator, Mr. Jay Nordlinger, and our distinguished panelists. Well, hello, everyone. It's uh, hard to talk immediately after that, you know. Uh, he's a great man, Jimmy Lai, setting a great example. And I was saying to Sebastian yesterday, he has both the burden and the joy of being the son of a great man. And he's in a very difficult spot 
as a campaigner, and he's doing it so well. Uh, I was reminded of a couple of things. I, uh, I was in Taipei many years ago and was going to have a meeting with some people at Apple Daily. And I walked into the lobby downstairs, and there looking at me was a bust of Friedrich Hayek. I had never seen one before, with a quotation from his Nobel lecture. And I thought, now, there is a different kind of newspaper owner, <laughs> you know. And uh, yesterday, I suppose, I was reviewing some of the things I've written about Jimmy Lai. And I, I just wanted to mention one tweet that he sent on November 23rd, 2020, he begins, uh, let us not be afraid and fight on. Then he said, and now I'm paraphrasing, uh, the greater the danger, the easier to arouse the world's attention. Then here's a direct quote. The world's attention is our saving grace. And uh, this is something Gene Kirkpatrick always said, that political prisoners want nothing more than to be remembered and their jailers want nothing more than for the prisoners be forgotten. So um, today we will pour some attention on. Um, Sebastian, you know, born in Hong Kong, educated hither and yon. <laughs> I asked him yesterday this question about identity. Identity is the hot question in the world. What are you, a Hong Konger, Chinese? You have a British passport? It's kind of a blend. Hong Konger. Keelan Gallagher is a human rights lawyer and international counsel for Jimmy Lai and Sebastian Lai. She's also Ireland's special rapporteur on child protection. Mark Clifford, I don't quite see you. Where are you? Let me position myself. Hello, Mark. Uh, Mark, is the, Mark Clifford is the president of the Committee for Freedom in Hong Kong. Uh, he is a veteran journalist, and he's an expert in all things Hong Kong, has a PhD in Hong Kong history, in fact. Sunny Chiang is a, what, activist, politician, democracy leader. He has an affiliation with the Pacific Forum. His actual name is Sunny with a U. This is not a nickname, he tells me. He said there are many people in Hong Kong named Sunny, both men and women. And um, I wanted to say something about this organization that Mark Clifford heads, the Committee for Freedom in Hong Kong. I was thinking about it. There is an old phrase, not so old, but a phrase in our recent political past, points of light. And I think about the organizations responsible for this event today, Ronald Reagan Institute, where we're all sitting, Committee for Freedom in Hong Kong, Foundation for the Defense of Democracies, the Acton Institute, produced that movie, I believe. These are um, great proponents of liberty, and uh, I know how grateful we are uh, for them. Um, Keelan Gallagher, I'd like to ask you for a, a kind of opening statement. Um, what's important to know about Jimmy Lai and his case? Uh, any news for us? Any insights? Yeah. What ought we to know? Simple as that. Well, I, I wanted to start, actually, by uh, using the words of Ronald Reagan, um, given where we're sitting. Um, and there's that very powerful phrase that he used for the first time in 1967, where he said, freedom's a fragile thing. We don't pass it to our children through our bloodstream. It's never more than one generation away from extinction. It's not ours by way of inheritance. It must be fought for and constantly defended by each generation 
for it comes only once to a people and those in world history who've known freedom and then lost it have never known it again. And those words were very much echoing in my mind as we were watching the film. I think we're here to discuss a remarkable man, as you've seen, a witty, brilliant, um, dynamic man. And we've seen that captured a little in the film and with people who've known him over the decades, many of whom are dotted around the room. It and makes you feel that you know him a little, just well, listening to him. You know, it's like he's your friend already. Yeah, well, exactly. And I, I think that is something, you know, we're now, we're dealing with, we're dealing with this person who is a caged bird, in essence, you know, in the very wonderful imagery we've seen there from the Acton Institute in the film. And you get a sense, I think, of his personality and his mm. wit and his mm -hmm. drive. But in terms of where we're at now in the case, situation now is we're approaching a thousand days of this man having been imprisoned for speaking truth to power. And make no mistake, that is why he's in prison. He's in prison for speaking truth to power. And what has happened with Jimmy Lai is that since 1989, when he described that awakening with Tiananmen Square and his heart becoming open, he then, thereafter, founded a media company and decided uh, to put the money which was hard fought, which he'd gained since being a 13-year-old, coming on a boat, as we heard so powerfully from Sebastian, he decided to put his money where his mouth was and his money where his heart was and to found this media company. And he, Next magazine came out in 1990, within months of the Tiananmen Square massacre and bloodshed. And then in 1995, followed Apple Daily. And from the outset, Next magazine and Apple Daily were anti-corruption, pro-democracy. They were speaking truth to power. That's what they did. Some of his earliest pieces, because of course, as well as being a media owner, he was also a writer. He would write about calling uh, Li Peng, the butcher of Beijing. And for <laughs> that, the authorities hated him and targeted him. And they targeted him for decades. So from 1990, his business was targeted. People who dared to advertise with him were targeted. His clothing companies in mainland China shut down. They targeted him in multiple ways. Sebastian's family home and their businesses firebombed. They attempted to silence him in multiple ways for decades. And what changed four years ago is that they had a new weapon in their armory, and that was the law, lawfare. And the national security law, and the way in which the law has been weaponized since the 2019-2020 protests is the real sea change that we've seen here. And that's why they've managed to do, um, well, they think they've managed to do, uh, what they couldn't do for decades, which is silence them. I think gatherings like this, rooms like this, the work that Sebastian's doing, the brilliant work that so many people are doing in the room, uh, needs to show them the lie uh, that is behind their thought, because they're not silencing him. And we need to show, going back to the words from the tweet, we need to show uh, that this is a, a man behind bars who's like a Nelson Mandela figure, a Vaclav Havel figure. He is a key person in the pro-democracy movement in Hong Kong, a key person standing for speaking truth to power, for press freedom. And by putting him behind bars, we need to ensure that they do not see that by doing that they've silenced him. We need to ensure that we cast a light on his case and we need to show them that keeping him behind bars is more hassle than letting him out would be. That's Good. essential. Let, let him be more trouble than it's worth. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and ultimately in any political prisoner case, that's what it is. In any mm. case where I and my colleagues around the room have worked and secured the freedom of a political prisoner, it's by ensuring that keeping the person behind bars is more hassle than doing the right thing and letting them mm. out. And that's what we need to do. That's what some Nicaraguan said to me recently when Ortega released about 200 of them. They got to be too much trouble. Mark Clifford, you've studied this fellow, Jimmy Lai, for a while. 
And here he is in his mid-70s or his early 70s then. Sebastian was telling me he's not quite sure how old he is. In the, in the late 40s there, it was so chaotic, you know, and his life was so, everything was so thrown into chaos. But here he is, great entrepreneur, billionaire, I guess. I imagine a fleet of private jets. He had paid his due, so to speak, participated in protests, candlelight vigils, elderly, could have gone anywhere, British passport, UK, Taiwan, some Caribbean island put his feet up. Uh, it could be here at the Reagan Institute giving a marvelous stirring speech about the crackdown in Hong Kong and the, and, 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 and the fate of Hong Kong. We'd all cheer. He could have, everyone would have understood but he wouldn't go, wouldn't go. He insisted on being, in a way, didn't ask for it, but he accepted imprisonment rather than exile. I know you're a writer and not a shrink, but <laughs> can you tell us why? Do, do, you, do you understand what it makes the guy tick? Yeah, well, I've, I've also known him for about 30 years, I guess since shortly before Sebastian was born, as, as a matter hmm. of fact. And I was on the board of, of Next Digital when Apple was shut down, our accounts were frozen. So I've seen pretty close up. And from those earliest days, actually, uh, Jimmy knew that he was courting this risk. And I, I think he, you know, you, this is a great film. Uh, I, I encourage those of you who are interested, there is a longer, a two-hour version. But this captures the man pretty well. I think we, we all agree who know him. And uh, he didn't want his life to be boring. I mean, he's, he is one of the most extraordinary entrepreneurs of his generation in Hong Kong. But he wanted more. And I think when he spoke about, uh, he had kind of turned his back on China. And then, as he said, in 1989, it was like his mother was calling to him. And he's, he was very, very close to his mother, as, as Sebastian will know, um, uh, who lived with the family until her late 90s, I think, when she passed. Uh, yeah, I still had a cigarette every day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he, Jimmy is a passionate man, as, as you can see, and he believes, as he said, he read Hayek, he started, he believed in free people and free markets. He believed in economic freedom. I mean, that, you know, something that really needs to be stressed. He saw them as going together. And he's, a, he's like that guy who was standing in front of the tank in that film, the famous The Tank Man, except he's been doing it for 30 plus years. And he's really standing in front of the tank. The tank is kind of running him over, but he is surviving. And I think it's, think of it as him standing in front of that tank, and that tank is the Chinese state. It's Xi Jinping. It's him against Xi Jinping right now. It's personal. So, and that's why, as Keelan and you have said, this is so important to have events like this, because if he's forgotten, it's all over. Mark, a, a little chronology. Um, was it Tiananmen Square that radicalized him in a way uh, that made him more democracy conscious? Absolutely. Absolutely. He was very... Pre, uh, he had Hayek. made his fortune in manufacturing and, and retail. And then he'd started Giordano. He was yeah. actually looking for something else. He was going to go into fast food. He was going to set up a Chipotle. This was before Chipotle. I mean, mm -hmm. he, he always, he's always looking for something else. And Tiananmen came at a particular time. He, as he said, he turned his back on China. He was very, very free market. He was a Hong Kong guy of his generation. Mark Simon talked a little bit about that. As, you know, he's this you know, garment guy who's, you know, like shuttling between New York and, and Hong Kong. 
at home in both, had a Rolls Royce in New York, flashy guy with a diamond ring, and you know, really into the into the the scene. And central he casting wanted something different, <laughs> and he saw those students. And actually, Martin Lee, the father of democracy, asked if he reached out through an aide to ask if Giordana would would you know had these great shirts. You know, some of the people in the film talked about it. Will you make some shirts for the students? And that's what started the whole thing. And then with pictures of Tiananmen Square student protesters yeah, yeah. on the shirts. Yeah, no, yeah, no. yeah. So, uh, and then he was, he was all in. You can see he's a passionate, all in kind of guy. And I think one other thing that didn't come through enough in the movie, it's interesting because the Acton Institute and Father Sirico who made it are, of course, Catholic, is Jimmy converted to Catholicism the week after the handover in 1997. And he's, he's always been Catholic, and, and Teresa, um, Sebastian's mother, is, is a, a, you know, extremely Catholic. But Jimmy's faith is deepened immensely in prison, and he spends his day, I don't think of him as a victim. He, Jimmy is as free as he's ever been. Of course, he'd love to be out of prison, be with his family. But, I understand. But yeah. he has embraced uh, this, and he sees himself on, on a mission. And he, he doesn't want to give up his life for it, but if he has to, he will. And I think that's something that's very, uh, I mean, kind of overwhelming for anybody who knows him. As Chris Patton said, we all like to think we'd do that, but would mm. we? Mm -hmm. Jimmy's doing it. More from the event on Jimmy Lai after these messages. The Ronald Reagan Presidential Foundation is the nonprofit organization created by President Reagan himself and specifically charged by him with continuing his legacy and sharing his principles. Individual liberty, economic opportunity, global democracy, and national pride. We must remain vigilant and work together to share these conservative principles with younger generations. Your role is critical to move our mission forward. Thank you for your continued support. Please visit reaganfoundation.org give. That's reaganfoundation.org give. Now back to our event on Jimmy Lai. Thing about exceptional people is they're exceptional. Yeah. And there was a quote he gave in an interview in between when he was first arrested in August 2020, and then we, he was arrested again in December 2020, and since then has been continuously in prison, uh, where he was asked if he was afraid about them coming for him. And he said, well, what's the point in being afraid? You know, at least if I'm in prison, I'll be living my, my life meaningfully and being true to my principles. And that's the bottom line. He's a man who didn't run away, stood there, spoke truth to power, and is living his life meaningfully in prison after standing up for what he believes in and why it's so important we all stand up for him. Sunny Chung, are you, um, you're a young Hong Conner, like certainly young to me, you and Sebastian. <laughs> and um, Jimmy Lai was this elder, famous tycoon. And I wonder what it meant to you young activists that he was involved this famous, wealthy guy. Uh, what did he mean to the rest of the movement? Because I'd see films of the, the umbrella movement, for example, people using their umbrellas as shields against tear gas and water cannons. A lot of young people. And then here's Jimmy Lai. Yes. He even looked different. Tell us a little about that. Sure. Um, I think Jimmy has been an icon for many Hong Kong uh, young people for many years. And when I was small, I still remember uh, very vividly that I purchased a lot of clothes from Giordano without knowing that actually Jimmy uh, co-established that, right? Uh, but when I uh, grew up 
and then I start uh, started reading a lot of newspaper and many young generation. Our major access of information was actually from the Apple Daily, and then we start trying to think more about politics. We try to think about the future of Hong Kong, and it's actually all the uh, hard work done by Jimmy. Without this kind of pro-democracy media in Hong Kong, it's very difficult to to circumvent this kind of pro-Beijing mouthpiece and disinformation or propaganda. And so for us, yeah, he, uh, he has been an icon. But he seldom really actively like, uh, become like the, uh, um, the, 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 the first guy to join the protest uh, standing at the front line. So somehow, we, we, he was like a legend, like a myth, right? But then uh, one day in 2019, um, I was approached by Jimmy. And then um, he told me that, um, so I want to have a dinner uh, with some young people, young students uh, who, who, who understand the movement well um, to come to my house um, to have dinner together. So um, we were nervous. We were very nervous because uh, we, we, um, the, he, he was a legend, like a beef, right? And then we finally have this opportunity to, um, to have dinner with him. And when we arrived at his house, um, he opened a very good uh, white wine. And as an undergraduate student uh, still, by that time, it was the best white wine I've ever had. <laughs> and and it, it was very uh, cool. And then, um, so we were nervous. So we were uh, wondering, so what Jimmy uh, wanted to talk to us or what he wanted to deliver. Um, actually not. Um, he, he didn't mean to say anything like to instruct us, you have to do this, you have to do that um, in order to lead the movement or, or, or etc. He just wanted to be like, uh, uh, a very generous old person, like sitting there, trying to hear our stories and try to be patient and supportive. That's it. So we were very uh, 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 grateful for having this opportunity. And the very last message he sent to me before uh, he went into jail uh, was that we will meet again. So mm. I still hope that uh, I can meet him. And as long as I think the international community and the U.S. Uh, uh, government can do more, I still remain hopeful that I can see Jimmy one day. Sonny, let me put one more to you. Um, my impression is that the Chinese government has succeeded in making Hong Kong another PRC city without distinctiveness, political distinctiveness. It has been subsumed in the PRC. What do you think? I think that's a very complicated question. Um, first of all, um, of course, I mean, the Chinese government, the Chinese Communist Party, they, they, they have been trying very hard to eradicate the distinctiveness of Hong Kong. They want Hong Kong without freedom, but at the same time, they want Hong Kong to preserve economic freedom because they still rely on Hong Kong a lot. They want a cash cow, if I may use an old phrase. Yes. Ah. Uh, they still rely on Hong Kong a lot to attract foreign uh, direct investment till now. So when people often say uh, Shanghai, Shenzhen, um, they are going to replace Hong Kong, but economically speaking, that's not the fact. Uh, in fact, they still rely on Hong Kong given how um, special and the economic reputation Hong Kong enjoy and gain in the previous decade. So uh, when after the crackdown happened, uh, when we see how many capital, uh, how many uh, um, investment still growing in Hong Kong day by day, I think that actually emboldened uh, Beijing government a lot because there is no consequences for them. I mean, the U.S., don't get me wrong, I think the U.S. has been doing a lot 
trying to deal with, with China. And I think they are doing a very good job on that. But many US uh, so-called like-minded allies in the world, like the UK government, like the British, I don't think they are doing enough. Many European countries, they are still investing a lot in Hong Kong. And that's not optimal regarding what different to Jimmy, to all the political prisoners in Hong Kong. Sonny, you remind me, someone in this film says, I don't think it was in the excerpt, it's in the complete film. Someone said, it's an American, it's a former representative in Hong Kong, says something like, you know, international financial capitals and political prisoners usually don't go together. You know, it's odd to have political prisoners in an international financial capital. It's uh, creepy. Uh, Sebastian, you know your dad. Yeah, um, indeed I do. <laughs> you aren't surprised that he stayed. You're not surprised, really, are you? Uh, no, um, we actually, uh, uh, you know, it's like we talked about yesterday. Uh, just some context, I was on his podcast. It's not like we have this a, whole thing. A victim. Wonderful podcast, by the way. Um, uh, but just like we talked about yesterday, I think, uh, uh, um, you know, th there are opportunities for people to, to stand up for what they believe in. Um, and um, it's, it's, it wasn't my place, even though obviously I, 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 I want to see my dad for Christmas. I, I, you know, I want him to be there for my marriage uh, uh, that I had a, a year ago. Um, but it's, it's, it's not my place to, to, to go between someone and, 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 his, and his fate and his, and his beliefs. And uh, so, yeah, I'm not, I'm not surprised. I'm proud. Hmm. Um, governments have been doing some about your father, could do more. Speak a little about that if you care to. Um, the US government's been not bad. Other governments, not so hot. What ought they to do in your view? Um, I see Keelan smiling. Yeah. So, so the US government has... Well, Irish, yeah. I will always take the opportunity to insult she, she knows I'm about to go. <laughs> um, the... Uh, the um, U.S. government has been has been very good. I think, you know, to to U.S. audience, um, and actually to 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 paraphrase Reagan, uh, human rights isn't 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 something that you get because you're born somewhere or, or, or in another place, right? These freedoms are, are are things that are that every single person deserves. It's not just for Anglo-Americans. No, yes. Really? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so 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 that's what it is, I, I, and I think. An American, un uh, uh, America, understands the cost of freedom just because it's it's it is in your is in your being. It's in it's in your history, and and every single day, many many people come to this country because because of this very uh, institution. Um, now, unfortunately, um, and, and just to preface this, I am British. Uh, <laughs> um, the, the, the UK government has been. Um, has it been as good? They have, they have since uh, uh, spoken out, but they're still not using, they still haven't called for his release, for example. Uh, they still haven't uh, uh, condemned what is happening in Hong Kong. Um, and um, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a real shame. And I think, you know, looking at it, at it objectively, rationally, it's also a, a, a horrible mistake because, I mean, look, why would you give a passport to someone? You're not giving a passport to someone because you think this is a bad person, here's a passport, right? You're giving a passport to someone because you, you, you want to point to that person and say, this is our guy. 
you know. It's the only passport your dad has? It is the, it is the only passport he has. In fact, when he landed in Hong Kong, it was the first time he was recognized as a, as a person by any state. You, a couple of times you've quoted your dad on something, and, and I want to, I don't fully understand it. I want to understand it better. Is his line, Hong Kong's a poor city, all we have is money? Tell me a little about that. What, what's the phrase? Uh, it, it's, a, um, uh, it's Hong Kong is so poor, the only thing we have is money. The only thing they have is money. Because there was this belief, uh, uh, and actually Sonny could probably it's talk Sun, more about Sonny's this. Sonny's smiling. He understands and he yeah. knows that I don't. So elaborate. Um, th there, there was this belief that the, Hong, the, the, the government propaganda was basically saying that all these kids were going out because they couldn't buy houses. Uh, 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 you know, they, they, the whole city was unaffordable. There was this narrative that all this was just done because, uh, uh, you know, either they were being paid either or, or, or that they were dissatisfied financially and that's why they were doing this. And I mean, I think all of you know, all of you here know that it's 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 ridiculous. I mean, the thing is, even those guys don't believe this. Like, it, it, it's it's important to note, I think, for all of us here, but also you know, for the UK, that the the, the elites in China and Hong Kong don't send their kids abroad to to, to our uh, to our universities out of the goodness of their heart. They're not buying homes and and, and shipping money in, in in London and New York because because they they they. They want they want this this place to uh, because they love America or whatnot. They're doing it because these systems, the, these freedoms that we have, pr pr protect them, and and it is a system that is objectively better. Even, even and, and they vote with their feet. Mm, mm. Keelan Gallagher, um, counselor. The dictatorships when they imprison people, they always have fig leaves, right? They always have some made-up charge. Yes. What are the fig leaves in, in the Jimmy Lai case? Yeah, so what I'm increasingly seeing in my work um, acting for human rights defenders, pro-democracy campaigners, journalists who are targeted by regimes is that regimes have got smarter about how they do it. So for many years what people would do is they'd be charged with, for example, criminal libel. So one of my clients, Maria Ressa, uh, who won mm. the Nobel Peace Prize a number of years ago, um, from the Philippines, some of the charges against her are for cyber libel. And people understand, you know, this is public interest journalism and someone's being threatened with jail for being a journalist and for writing a piece. Um, and those kind of actions, so using defamation law, that was the original type of action that was used. But what we're now seeing increasingly is the use of regulatory laws and also laws which essentially are designed to smear the reputation of the person. So that's a new tactic that's being used. So, for example, we see someone like Mir Shakil or Raymond in Pakistan being charged with uh, apparently some financial, financial fraud from about 30 years previously uh, in a thinly veiled attempt to smear his reputation, undermine his reputation as a journalist and media owner. So you kill two birds with one stone. You manage to jail the person, the media owner, but you also undermine their reputation. So that tactic that has been growing over the last number of years has now been used on steroids in Hong Kong. That's exactly what's happened to Jimmy Lai. So the fig leaves that have been used against him are as follows. Uh, first of all, he received sentences, convictions and sentences in four separate sets of proceedings related to the 2019-2020 protests. And just to give you an indication of one of those, um, he was uh, charged and convicted of both organizing and participation in uh, one particular protest uh, in August uh, 2019, at which 1.7 million people 
were on the were on the streets in Victoria Square. To put that in context, heck of an organising job. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that, that's a quarter of the population. So they claim the kind of bogeyman is there's a small number of people who organise this, and they claim he's one of them, and he gets convicted of this, and he also gets convicted of participation in it, and he received a sentence which he finished serving last year. Now a number of weeks ago. Uh, the, in the Hong Kong courts, his appeal succeeded and they accepted that he hadn't in fact organised it and they quashed the conviction. And utterly ludicrous. You know, he's already served the sentence. He finished serving the sentence yeah, a year ago. Yeah, yeah well, exactly. Um, so that's one of the sets of convictions. But what they then did this time last year, and this is somewhere, something where the US government was extremely helpful and many of you in the room who were involved in making this happen, I see people from Senate Foreign Relations uh, here, Maggie and others, uh, who were instrumental, and people from the NSC were instrumental in making this happen. Um, he was convicted on a completely spurious fraud charge, which related to a lease violation, and he received a five-year, nine-month sentence. Now, that was designed to ensure that going into his national security law trial, they could call him a convicted fraudster. That's what they wanted to do. And he so got convicted. It was a so-called apolitical charge. Yeah, was, precisely. Yeah. So, and it was designed to be exactly like uh, the tactic I was talking about, something that, which has a whiff of the person being dishonest. Mm -hmm. So in precisely the same way that they go after Maria Ressa for tax evasion to kind of make people think she's dishonest. Mm -hmm. That's the new tactic. So they go after him claiming that there was a violation of the lease terms uh, and he gets convicted of fraud on that basis. And the US government, on the day he was convicted, put out an incredibly powerful statement saying these were sham charges. And it was wonderful that they did that. I'm afraid the UK government on that day um, was grappling with quite a few other things, including a change of prime minister. And there was radio silence uh, from the UK. And this is after, you may have seen over here, there's been rather a few changes at the top of the uh, UK government over the years. We've had the um, Boris Johnson years, uh, the Theresa May days, and uh, now we're into the Rishi Sunak months. <laughs> we can put it that way. Yeah. To put this, uh, if I can jump in, yeah. to put this in, in context, this would be like you rent my, my apartment, I say no pets, and you have a cat in there, yeah. and I say you're going to prison. This has never been a criminal case in exactly. Hong Kong. It's a civil case. It's, it's not outrageous. like Jimmy Lai can't pay his rent for having yeah. said yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was using a spot of the size of a couple of chairs that he yeah. sublet to a private company in, from the newspaper. I mean, I was on the board. We knew about it. Yeah. Shareholders knew about it, and they called it fraud. Again, it was the level of having a cat in and throwing you in jail for six years. You know, I mean, it's outrageous. Yeah, ludicrous. Mark, I was thinking of the case of um, Liu Xiaobo, who won the Nobel Peace Prize which is a pretty big deal, but it seemed not to make a dent. It didn't affect the Chinese government at all. They went merrily on imprisoning this fellow, and, and, and he died in prison or in a military hospital where they yeah. put him at the last minute. And it seemed to me over the years uh, that Beijing paid no price whatsoever for its uh, persecution of Liu Xiaobo. What I wonder is how, how can the... Well, let me ask this question first. I can say, how can the Chinese government be made to pay a price uh, for what it's doing to Jimmy Lai? But I'd also like to ask, sometimes I hear people say the Hong Kong government, I say Beijing. Is there a difference? Are the shots being called from headquarters in Beijing? Yes, uh, yes, does yes, the Hong Kong are. government There is obey? a difference, but ah. you know, we've, Hong Kong still has its own currency, its own tax regime, but the shots are being called in Beijing. Mm -hmm. And I would say they're being 
called, if not directly by Xi Jinping, by part of that small circle of, of Politburo Central Committee people. Okay, they didn't pay a price, or they didn't pay a high enough price for Liu Xiaobo. A couple of points. Maybe we didn't have the pressure up enough. Mm. It was also a different time geopolitically, right? I mean, the world was still riding high on China, WTO, the Olympics. Uh, you know, 2008, 2009, when Liu Xiaobo was, was most active with the charter movement, uh, patterned after some of the successful Eastern European movements, it looked like China was still moving in a more liberalizing direction. That was the high point. Okay, things have gone backwards for the last 15 years, but you know, history goes in waves, I think, or in cycles, and we're at a different point now. Um, I grew up at a time when the Berlin Wall was immutable. It was going to be there forever. Mm. I actually remember it going up. It's an early memory. I saw the wall in Berlin. I lived in Berlin. Never was going to come down in my lifetime, mm. right? Nobody thought it was coming down. So we just we keep playing the game, and we keep making life difficult for the Chinese. We do everything we can. What can governments do? They can make sure they're talking about political prisoners. And it's not only Jimmy. As a director, I have six other colleagues who are in jail. They're just being held hostage for Jimmy's case. They've all said they'll plead guilty. Let them be sentenced, or at least let them out, be out on bail. But they're just being held hostage. They've been two plus years. There are hundreds of other Hong Kongers who, uh, actually 38% of the people in Hong Kong jails right now are just being held on remand, without bail. They're waiting for their trials, which are taking years and years. So we've got to just keep raising our voices, and I think this is the perfect place to have this because Ronald Reagan, against the advice of so many people around him, said, tear down that wall, Mr. Gorbachev. And I think we need to be public, our leaders need to be public. Uh, we've talked about the UK, we've talked about the US. Different countries are gonna have different approaches, but I think we in civil society need to make sure that our elected, our political, governmental representatives are really making a big deal about this. Um, you know, it can't be business as normal with China and with Hong Kong as long as you have, it's not just the Hong Kongers, we've got more people being incarcerated, more of a civilian incarceration than we've seen at any period since the Nazi regime. And we want to go along as if it's business as normal. So, yeah. Mark, you, you reminded me of something from many years, or I hadn't thought of this in a long time, but when you said that, uh, you know, things happen and there are surprises in the world, sometimes for the better. In about 1993, I happened to meet Paul Nitze. And I said to him, there wasn't a human being who knew more about U.S.-Soviet relations than he, or about the Cold War than he, not one. I said to him, <laughs> pretty basic, were you surprised by the collapse of the Soviet Union and the end of the Cold War? And he could say, oh, of course not, my boys. He said, yes, I was. And I, what, what an interesting, if he was, everyone else had to then. Sonny, um, an unpleasant topic, not that the rest have been pleasant. So the Chinese government has bounties on the heads of activists in exile, but we're not speaking figuratively, by the way. It's not a metaphor. Literal bounties. <coughs> Cash rewards, I believe. For turning him in. Ah. Uh-huh. And many others. Yeah. 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 This is serious business. And uh, I asked Sebastian yesterday a rude question. Do you take precautions? He said, well, I do what I need to do. Say whatever you want about this disgusting and, to me, frightening issue. Right. Um, I'm glad you bring it up because 
Um, in recent years, I mean, in academia or in DC, many people have been talking about transnational repression. Mm. Um, this is a very new phenomenon, really, I mean, brought up by the CCP, and that also demonstrated the very nature of CCP is that even though you left Hong Kong, you fled Hong Kong, but still, if you oppose um, the CCP, if you oppose Beijing, they can still find ways to intimidate you. They can still find ways to harass you. And uh, I think the US is um, doing something very incrementally to uh, cope with this um, problem and situation. <coughs> but again, not many other countries in the world, especially in Europe, have been doing that. Um, especially, I mean, I, I, have, I mean, especially I have to thank, I mean, many dissidents here uh, have to thank, uh, like FBI, um, the federal agency, they have been providing support to dissidents, to Hong Kong, to, and for my knowledge, to, to, to uh, Tibetan, to Uyghurs, to other people, in order to help them to protect their own personal safety. But from what, from what I heard, in other foreign governments, they don't even recognize and acknowledge this is a problem. Mm. So I think we have a lot to do. We have to do something coordinated uh, to, and have some joint effort to protect the safety of people who dare to speak against um, an autocratic regime, and before, to protect people who have the courage to still talk about China nowadays. And I think the US um, is a powerhouse to do that. So I think, uh, we've, I mean, given many policymakers here, I recognize some here in the audience uh, uh, here. So I hope that I mean this can be a prob uh, this can be a consensus built by you all and also share to all your allies in the world. This business of transnational repression, the Chinese government does it, the Cubans, the Turks. A few years ago, a Turkish exile said to me the Turkish government had an office of abductions and executions. And I thought he was describing the office. No, that's its formal name, Office of Abductions. And they're completely blunt about it. Uh, yeah. Sebastian, we talked about this before, but I, I would ask you to do it again and for others to join in. There's sort of a question about the world at large. Hong Kong's a very attractive city. Uh, people like to go there. And what I wonder is, uh, in your opinion, should tourists visit and have a good time and spend money and go to those delicious restaurants? Should investors invest? I was saying, Sebastian, one of my favorite musicians in all the world is Jat van Sweden, the, the uh, Dutch conductor. And he is a music director of the Hong Kong Philharmonic. Fine, I mean, it's his career, but it bothers me a little. You were more generous than I yesterday about people going to Hong Kong. But I'd, I'd like to, to hear from you again on this subject. Say what, it, as, um, as Bill Buckley would say, say the appropriate things. <laughs> so uh, in, ter in terms of uh, tourism, um, <clears throat> Look, Hong Kong still has great food, right? <laughs> I, I, I do, I really do miss the food. The, the, the issue is that, you know, that um, if you're going to Hong Kong, uh, they, you know, under national security law, it, it, um, it's very easy essentially to get persecuted, prosecuted and persecuted for opinions that you hold, uh, that are very much opinions that every single person holds in America. An example of this is uh, a girl liked a, uh, there was a student in Japan who liked a few social media posts about democracy and she went back home to Hong Kong. She was arrested. Mm. Now, that's a pretty easy thing to, 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 to do and it's a pretty crazy thing to get arrested for. Uh, so as long as you're careful, I guess, tourism is, you know, <laughs> it's okay. 
Um, in terms of business... But, but, but I'm using an old-fashioned word now. Pardon the old-fashionedness of this word. Is it moral? Is it moral? Um, I, I think that's a very uh, um, loaded phrase. I think... <laughs> uh, no, no, I, okay, look. You're so polite. No, no, yeah. because, because, because... You were well-raised, no, Sebastian. No, because this is very important. I, I, it's, it's not everybody that's staying in Hong Kong is a bad person. Right. Not every single person that's, that's, that's running a business in Hong Kong is a bad person. I think that is a very uh, important narrative to, 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 to say. It, it's not, I mean, you know, the reason why we're here is because what my father did is he's the only person, he's the only tycoon doing it. It doesn't mean everybody else is bad. It, 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 it really shows how the communist government gets you. Like it, it, it's, look, obviously you have some bad tycoons, but you have some, you have some good guys as well. It's, it's not... It's not, I, I don't think it's as clear cut as that. So you were talking about investors before I interrupted you. Yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, yes. I'm the one who's sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, just go, going back to in terms of investment, um, look, look, Hong Kong is, is a city of human capital, right? It has nothing else. People like my father, like, like, like many of the Hong Kongers, uh, escaped from China, arrived in Hong Kong, decided to make that place their home. And, and, and really built it up from a, a fishing village, from rickshaws to, 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 to Mercedes. That, that is the story of Hong Kong. Now, the reason why the people of Hong Kong could do this is because of those freedoms that we, share, that we have here in America. Rule of law, freedom of press, free speech. And the stupid thing that Hong Kong, the government of Hong Kong is doing right now is that they are going through a show trial putting these freedom on trials. I'll give you an example, right? To this day, if you just, I don't know if there's an email to the Hong Kong government, but ask them if you have you know, free, free press. They'll tell you they have free press. Google uh, Apple Daily Rates. 500 uh, policemen running into the biggest newspaper in, in the city, taking every single thing they could take, forcing reporters to stop uh, 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 writing. That, now, that is not free press. Uh, rule of law. So going back to what Keelan said, um, the, the, the charge that my father got five years, nine months for, the, the lease violation, the, the cat in the apartment, so to speak, um, that was a commercial charge. Now, if you offend the wrong, the wrong person in Hong Kong, you might not get five years, nine months. But what, you want someone to knock on your door at five in the morning? Do you want someone to, to, to raid your offices, to, 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 to embarrass you in front of everyone, to keep you in there for six months? That is what Hong Kong is. I, you, look, you... you, you Every investor measures their risk and, 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 and decides whether there is reward. But, that, but they should be very aware that that is the risk that they put themselves through. That is the risk they put their employees through. And as you pointed out, if they can break an agreement with the British government, they can break an agreement with some company. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, accounting firms had no chance. <laughs> they were like to break an agreement with the British Tell government. Tell me, Keelan. I just wanted to add something on this. I mean, I think we've been speaking about quite a few... Uh, deeply concerning issues. So transnational repression, the number of political prisoners that Mark's been referring to, the national security law, which we haven't spent much time on, but which is a chilling piece of legislation, which essentially converts to terrorism or sedition any form of criticism of the authorities. Now, this is a piece of legislation which applies to all of us in this room. We're all committing criminal offences by even daring to have this discussion here. So it applies to anyone on the planet, whether they've ever lived in Hong Kong, whether they've ever stepped foot within Hong Kong. And I think a key thing just to bear in mind here is the mismatch between the continuing perception some people have of Hong Kong 
as a free trade financial hub, a place where it's safe uh, to operate as a law firm, a rule of law compliant place, and what's happening on the ground. Now, just to give you a, a sense, because there's three ways, I think, where there's a fundamental mismatch between that conception and what's in fact happening. First is the number of prisoners. Mark referred to it. Now, here you have a place which is masquerading as an international hub and has an international financial capital, and it's holding numbers of political prisoners only on the same kind of scale as Myanmar and Belarus. That's, that's what you're dealing with. Uh, you have, in relation to the national security law, a piece of legislation which has been condemned by the United Nations, condemned by the European Union, condemned by the UK government, condemned by the US government, and so on. And that now applies, and it applies to any company that's operating in Hong Kong. And using the national security law, we've seen with Apple Daily, state-sponsored theft of a hugely successful company and a hugely important pro-democracy newspaper. And that was done on the say-so of John Lee, wearing a previous hat, on the basis of the executive in Hong Kong having a suspicion that there was a breach of the national security law. And we all know, as you heard at the start from Sebastian, that, John, that Jimmy Lai's um, national security law trial hasn't even taken place yet. It's now delayed until December this year, after he'll have been in prison for three years. So without there ever having been a decision, the company has been shut down on suspicion of breaching that law. A simple-minded question. Is delay bad? Well, sometimes you hear the kind of phrase, justice delayed um, is justice denied. Yeah. Now, to be clear, we do not think here that Jimmy Lai is going to receive justice in the Hong Kong system, because the Hong Kong system is no longer a rule of law compliant system. Uh, we had recently a prosecutor boasting of there being a 100% conviction rate under the national security law. So this is only going it's a high rate. one way. <laughs> it, it, it is a high rate. Uh, it may be because the prosecutor is doing their job incredibly well. It may be because the law is drafted so breathtakingly broadly uh, that any form of criticism of the authorities is converted to a crime. But that's a deeply concerning position. And we think what they're doing here is there is embarrassment for the authorities uh, in Hong Kong. Good. And the prospect of having a three-month trial uh, dragging on. And to be clear, what he's charged with under the national security law is really two different things. One of them is engagement with foreign agents. Uh, that's a crime under the national security law. It's coming and having meetings with people like Pompeo, Pelosi, here in Washington, speaking to people like you in rooms like this. Yep. That's the first kind of category of charge that he faces. And the second category of charge that he faces relates to journalism. So it relates to pieces printed in Apple Daily, which told the truth about Tiananmen Square, dared to tell the truth about Tiananmen Square, uh, that were supportive of the pro-democracy campaigners in 2019, 2020. So he's being prosecuted for those things, for activities which all of us in the room take for granted, and activities which are at the heart of the freedoms which this institute is all about. But that's the key fundamental mismatch. And on the transnational repression, I just wanted to add something really quickly on that, because uh, I and colleagues in the room, Jennifer and Jonathan, who work on these cases, we work on many cases involving transnational repression by Russia and by Iran. The three biggest offenders in terms of transnational repression in the world at the moment are Iran, Russia, and China. Now, Iran and Russia are pariah states, and China, including Hong Kong, is not being treated mm. as a pariah state. Mm -hmm. You have Hong Kong still being treated by many US businesses, by many US individuals, by many governments worldwide as if it's a respectable state. 
And to use Congressman Mike Gallagher's phrase, uh, you have many people who are wearing golden blindfolds as they continue to operate as if it's business as usual in Hong Kong. And that's a fundamental difference. And it seems to me it is high time that we as the international community call that out. Now, we know that this has leverage. We know that John Lee's first policy statement last October was all about the importance of attracting international investment post-COVID, the importance of fintech companies, financial services, investment banks, law firms continuing to operate in Hong Kong. And we need to show them that they cannot achieve that policy objective while they use the national security law and lawfare in the way that they are. And while this remarkable man who we're talking about today, uh, Jimmy Lai, is behind bars, we have to show them that actually we need to hit them where it hurts. And we need to show them that that policy objective they have and their aim to continue having Hong Kong seen as a free market, free trade hub, a center of international trade and international business. They cannot achieve this objective unless they change their ways. Mark, you, you can see Keelan was supposed to be uh, acting on Jimmy's uh, behalf in Hong Kong. You see why they didn't, even for a show trial, you wouldn't want her there. <laughs> Sorry, Jay. I'm serious, you right? I mean, yeah. this is what they don't want. I don't know if you followed. They have barred, there were two other, anyway, Tim Owen was ultimately going to do it. Even in a 100% conviction rate, and you forgot to mention the judges who are <laughs> handpicked, yeah. uh, you don't want people like Keelan telling the truth. Oh, sorry, Jay. But. Does Jimmy Lai have reputable counsel? Uh, does he have a team that is, or is it is it all a show? Is it all? Well, he, just, just a the setup? thing is, he has an international team that's not allowed to go to Hong Kong. I don't know if you want to speak on this or not. Yeah, so to, to be clear, being a lawyer in Hong Kong at the moment, being a human rights lawyer, being a criminal defense lawyer, is an act of bravery, yeah. and many lawyers have been targeted too, yeah. uh, simply for daring to do their jobs or for setting up, uh, for example, a fund to support the protesters. So I'm very careful in these cases. You know, when we deal with uh, people who are imprisoned in Iran, imprisoned in Saudi Arabia and so on, imprisoned in Egypt, and you're dealing with domestic counsel in those countries, we do not underestimate for a moment the pressures that those teams are under. No, in fact, uh, Vladimir Karamurza in Russia had this incredibly brave lawyer. I'm afraid I can't remember his name, but he, he was told very clearly that he would be the next arrested, yeah. and he, he, he fled. Mark, the, the thought crosses my mind, and I don't know, this is maybe a little, I don't know. Wouldn't it be something if, if the imprisonment and persecution of Jimmy Lai backfired on them? Wouldn't that be something? That would be great. Yeah. Wouldn't it? Well, <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I mean, look, make again. a kind of closing statement for us, and I'm going to go to Sonny. Well, um... Uh, go ahead, Mark, first. Yeah, make a, make well, a, no, I was yeah. just going to say, yeah. look, uh, you know, for every Lu Xiaobo who, who I mean, you know, some people die in prison. I think Jimmy, of course, he doesn't want to die. Of course, his family doesn't want him to die in, in prison. But he, he, you know, he's ready for it. But on the other hand, you have a Nathan Sharansky, and I was lucky enough to, to moderate a discussion, a live kind of discussion like this, but online just before Jimmy went into prison. Sharansky was in for nine years, right? And they talked a lot. And I've talked to Sharansky subsequently, and they had a number of private uh, conversations. And Jimmy was, Sharansky and Jimmy talked yeah, a lot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, so the one, we mm -hmm. did this live stream, and they also had some, some mm -hmm. private ones. And Sharansky said it was amazing. This guy was, he was looking up, and he said it probably, looking up to Sharansky, will you be my mentor? I want to learn from you. You were in there for nine years in the gulag with the KGB. Mm -hmm. uh, how'd you do it? 
And uh, I think Jimmy has he's proven a very, very adept student. And uh, you know, we can't handicap history, but it's you know, again, I think of that guy standing in front of that tank. We don't know what happened to him, but I mean, Jimmy is kind of metaphorically standing in front of the Chinese tank. Let's see. And you, you remind me how important family members are. Yes, and that's and, uh, one thing. Sharansky yeah. says the biggest mistake the KGB ever made was letting Avatar out of the country. Can I say something on sure. the point of family, which is, we're speaking about one brave man uh, here today, Jimmy Lai, but actually Sebastian um, is very modest, and it's important to say uh, there is, well, there's, uh, in, in fact, two very brave men to my left as well, and I don't want to leave you out. I'm sure oh, you can leave me out. You, you, <laughs> yeah. you, um, Keelan, feel perfectly free to leave me out. Yeah, I'm sitting in my recliner drinking milkshakes. But, uh, but I do just want to highlight that Sebastian himself has been threatened because of speaking out for his father. And the result is that Sebastian cannot return to Hong Kong. Um, he cannot return. He has been the subject of uh, hit pieces in state media. Uh, there have been very aggressive statements written, formal statements from the Hong Kong authorities. Uh, he and our colleague Tatiana Eatwell, uh, when they addressed the UN Human Rights Council uh, in June in Geneva, were interrupted by China. Um, myself and colleagues have uh, had many threats ourselves too. But Sebastian is in a position where for doing what he's doing and speaking in the way that he has tonight, telling personal stories about his father and simply asking for his father to be released, he has also been threatened. He's also been told that he's committing criminal offences. This is the long arm of the Hong Kong authorities. So, and Sebastian, the long arm. You're, you're a chip off the old block. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. But, but it, does, it does mean that unless things change, uh, Sebastian will never see his father again. I just want people to understand that's what we're dealing with here. We're dealing with a situation where we have a 75-year-old man uh, behind bars for speaking truth to power, already there for almost a thousand days, and Sebastian has not been able to see him since December 2020. And that's why we've got to take action. Could I just, this brilliant phrase that was used in, um, in fact, one of your colleagues from Apple Daily in a farewell letter in Apple Daily's last issue uh, that said this, I'm particularly touched by a recent cartoon I saw. An apple is buried in the ground, but from its seeds comes a tall tree full of even bigger and more beautiful apples. Love you forever, love Hong Kong forever. And I think to what you were saying about it being potentially counterproductive, I think what we need to talk about here is how we take those seeds, how we plant those apples, and how we ensure that we make clear that what they did in December 2020, when they put Jimmy Lai behind bars, it was not worth their while, was the wrong thing to do, and it's got to be something which comes back to bite them. <laughs> Sonny, say whatever you like. <laughs> open, and, and open for, give us a give us a comment on whatever you like. Maybe something that's been overlooked, something on your mind. Sure. Um, I just want to highlight um, how bad the situation is in Hong Kong right now. After um, Jimmy and other many courageous, I mean, political activists are being imprisoned, and uh, especially after how Hong Kong autonomy is being destroyed. So many people here uh, must be aware of like, um, the, the Russian invasion of Ukraine, right? So after the invasion, Hong Kong as an inter international financial hub is being a very important transition hub for Russian tycoon to go there, to, to, to find a safe harbor, to circumvent the US and, uh, uh, and other countries' sanctions. Because the Hong Kong government is very receptive about this kind of autocratic capital and this kind of investment to go there. Without Apple Daily, without Jimmy, without the whole civil society, Hong Kong right now, it's becoming something that um, the Chinese government can really manipulate very easily in order 
to, um, to do something to benefit their own interests. And at the same time, very interestingly, Hong Kong still can enjoy this kind of international privilege that actually should be deprived. Hong Kong is still an independent member of WTO. Hong Kong is still an independent member of ASEAN. And many, this kind of example to demonstrate that there are lots of things we can do in order to put so, pressure on the Hong Kong government. Apart from the PRC, Hong Kong is a member of these international organizations? Yes, yeah. a lot of WTO. Isn't that uh, absurd? ASEAN summit is going to be held uh, uh, in San Francisco this October. And, a a, a, a APEC. APEC. The yeah. APEC, the APEC summit. And this APEC summit, uh, Hong Kong is also, uh, they, they are going to send a representative to, to go there. And a lot of this kind of international organization, Hong Kong still has a voice in this, uh, 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 in this platform. But is that a problem? I think so. Personally, I think this is a problem. And we should do more to uh, put pressure on Hong Kong government to help support uh, people like Jimmy and other political prisoners to remind the Beijing government that what they did should not be tolerated. Yeah. And the privilege and the, uh, uh, the, the advantage of Hong Kong as an international financial hub should be revoked or at least should be refilled. What a good point. Um, as we near the end, April Panuru, could I ask, there, there's an announcement to be made about an artwork. Oh. W would you mind just yeah. coming and, uh, come on up and just, because uh, you know more about it than I do. Uh, and no, I, I'm very happy to. I, yeah, please, please. yeah, take a mic, take a mic, please. Uh, downstairs, you'll see there are some postcards, and it's um, it's a beautiful drawing that Jimmy did while he was in prison um, of Christ on the cross. And we thought it'd be a nice idea to turn these into postcards that would then be sent back to Jimmy. Um, so you'll see those downstairs. If you'd like to send a message, we're not looking for political messages, sort of thoughts and prayers kind of messages that he. I think every one of these that he receives, you know, is is really gives him a, a great amount of encouragement. And so feel free to fill out those postcards. Um, they'll be on the tables downstairs at the reception, and we'll gather them, and we'll make sure they get to Jimmy. So thank you very much. Thank you. Well, um, Sonny Chung, Mark Clifford, and Keelan Gallagher, and Sebastian Lai, thank you very much, and God bless you all. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Can I... To watch the actual documentary, please visit our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Reagan Foundation. Thank you for listening. For more information on the Ronald Reagan Presidential Foundation and Institute, including information on how to become a member, information on upcoming exhibits at the Reagan Library, and more information on the legacy of President Reagan, please visit reaganfoundation.org. And don't forget to like and follow the Reagan Foundation on all social media platforms. Until next week. Thanks for listening, and God bless you. Don't forget to subscribe to A Reagan Forum podcast in your iTunes or Google Play stores and on other podcast platforms as they become available. New episodes of A Reagan Forum come out every Thursday. Like what you hear? Check out our Words to Live By podcast, featuring radio addresses and speeches Ronald Reagan delivered from the 1960s through the 1980s. New episodes drop every Tuesday. And don't forget to follow at Ronald Reagan on Facebook, at Ronald Reagan on Twitter, and Reagan Foundation 
on YouTube. Also, search for us on SoundCloud and Stitcher.